0: church our lord said why are you persecuting me so christ is still on the cross behold i stand at the door now if anyone hears my voice and opens the door i will come into him and eat with him Stays love, love, love. It's all that matters, it's all that stays. It's already found that if you look out for yourself, not those around. You're gonna find that you just can't save your life, and not those around you. Are. Hola, buenos dias, ¿qué tal? Welcome back to Behold the Man. I'm your host, Joe McLean. And today we're gonna to be talking about love. Well, we're gonna be talking about suffering too. Well, how do those two things relate? Well, that's what we're going to be getting into, and I pray that we'll have a revealing discussion on the matter. And I also want to just remember 9-11. Because this week, as we recall and we we remember those that the tragedy of that day, the suffering that so many endured, and it sent them on a roller coaster ride of trying to find meaning in that suffering. So many people questioned where God was on that day. And that's what I want to talk about. That's going to be the foundation for our discussion today. So before we begin, let us begin with a prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. All glorious and wondrous God, we come before you and praise your holy name. We stand in awe of you, dear Father, and we come to you like little children lost in this world and needing direction, seeking that out in you. We pray that your Holy Spirit will come down upon us, give us the wisdom we need, guide us. May your words be said, may your message be communicated, not my glory, but your glory. May your will be done. Guide us. During this conversation, enlighten us. Fill our hearts full of the joy of Christ, our Lord, our God, our Savior. I pray, I pray that you will help us to find meaning in our suffering, that we can unite that suffering to Christ on the cross. So, Lord, all who listen, may you lift them up. May you build them up. May you redeem them. May you just give them great hope great hope, a supernatural, abundant hope, that no matter what they're enduring, you are with them, holding their hand. So we pray for this. We seek the intercession of our Blessed Mother, who never ceases to intercede for us before the Lord God Almighty, Mama Mary, pray for us, Hail Mary, full of grace. The Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. This first verse that I'm going to start us off with, it seems that everybody has read this verse at their wedding. You know, either during the vows or uh, maybe during the reception. But at some point, this verse was read. But you know, when you actually study this verse, it's not talking about marital love. This is, of course, the famous 1 Corinthians chapter 13, starting in verse 4. And it says, Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful. It is not arrogant or rude. Love does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrong, but rejoices in the right. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never dies. Well, that sounds like a man and a, and a, and a woman in marriage, doesn't it? Man and wife, that's the love they have for one another and their vocation. Well, of course it is but that's not what st paul's specifically referring to here if you back up actually you can if you start at the very first at the very first verse verse 1 he says in chapter 13 if i speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love i am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal and if i have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge and if I have all faith as so as to remove mountains but have not love I am nothing if I give away all I have and if I deliver my body to be burned but have not love I gain nothing and if you skip past it In verse 13, he says, So faith, hope, love, abide. These things, but the greatest of these is love. Love is something that is, it's an action word. It's not a noun. It's not, doesn't describe, you know, love isn't an adjective that says, okay, this is a noun. This is a fixed object. You know, no, this is a verb. Love is about doing something. Love is constantly doing something, but not for self, but for others. See, St. Paul tells us that love goes beyond our selfish desires. Love goes beyond us and into the other person. In Ephesians chapter 5, St. Paul makes it abundantly clear for us that we are to give ourselves. In this case, it is about marriage in Ephesians 5, but he gives us this example that we are to pour ourselves out as husbands for our wives like Christ does for his bride, the church, which was when on the cross. Love leads us to the cross. How can you say that? Well, let's turn back. Isaiah, chapter 53. Now, we've all heard this read several times. But let's start in verse 4. Isaiah 53, starting in verse 4. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that made us whole. And with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. You know another great uh, passage to read in the old Testament isaiah twenty two or actually no I'm sorry psalm twenty two it is what our Lord quoted from the cross. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He quotes that psalm from the very cross. Go and read the entire psalm. Because that's what he's saying up there. It is out of love that he bore our iniquities. It is out of love that he took our stripes. It is out of love that he just took the punishment that we deserved. It is what made us whole. If we look into John's gospel in uh, chapter 18, starting in verse 10, you know, let me just set this up a little bit. After, after our Lord instituted the Eucharist in the upper room, he goes out across the Kidron Valley to the Garden of Gethsemane. And there in a garden, our Lord cries out with loud lamentations to the one who is able to save him. He says three times, Let this cup pass for me, but not my will, but thy will be done. This man, this this Messiah, the Anointed One, who is referred to as the last Adam by St. Paul, in a garden, when tested, when confronted with the choice to die for the sins of all, all the world, of all mankind, or to let it pass, our Lord says, not my will, but thy will be done. Kind of reminds us a little bit of a man in a garden, who was confronted with a very similar test. There in Eden, in chapter 3 of the book of Genesis, we see the Satan, we see the serpent, whom we now know is Satan, come into the garden and test Adam. And Adam, in a garden, whose, whose job it was to keep and protect that garden, did nothing. He sat there quiet, allowing Eve to do all the talking, all the negotiating with this intruder. Adam had a choice. Suffer for his bride, his spouse, protecting not only her, but the very garden with which our Lord God commanded him to protect or to save his skin, to let that pass from him. What does he choose? He chooses to save his skin, to forego his soul. And he lets it pass from him. And he's quiet. Not a word is said while he's making the choice. But our Lord in a garden, the last Adam, who's given that choice, he doesn't let the cup pass from him. He chooses to suffer for our sake. He said in the upper room, the greatest thing a man can do is to lay down his life for a friend. He gives of himself. For our sake, as Isaiah 53 says. So here we have a beautiful image of love. Love is suffering. And did, did not our Lord endure this suffering? You know, just with the exquisite grace of charity, He, was, he went to His cross like a lamb led to the shears, dumb, silent. That's what Isaiah 53 says. And the only time in all four Gospels when our Lord, standing before Caiaphas, the high priest, who spoke up, was when Caiaphas commanded him to do so. And Caiaphas, being the high priest, had the authority to do so. And our Lord, being the perfect man, respected that authority and spoke up. And that was the time that got Jesus killed. That was the death sentence right there, because what happened when Caiaphas says, you know, are you the Son of the Most High? And our Lord responds, you will see the Son of Man ascending and descending and sitting at the right hand of God in, in heaven. And he quotes from Psalm 114. It's powerful stuff, because you need to understand that love requires the cross. Love for us, giving us a shot at salvation requires Calvary. That is love. Now, from our perspective, our perspective, we're much more like St. Peter, who happens to be my patron saint, because I can relate to the guy. You know, Lord, you know, hey, I'll go to the cross, I'll, go, I'll die with you, man. I am right there. And then given the test, whoa, I don't even know that guy. <laughs> That's our perspective. Every single time, well, I shouldn't say that, I'm speaking in general terms here, but a lot of times when we endure suffering, we don't take it like our Lord took it. We don't see the value in it. We suffer in it. Now, the trick here is to unite our suffering to the cross. Now, how do we do that, you might say? Well, let me read, from, read to you from the Catechism of the Catholic Church. In paragraph 1508 it says, and this is speaking in a section on the sacrament of anointing of the sick, but paragraph 1508 of the Catechism of the Catholic Church it says, The Holy Spirit gives to some a special charism of healing so as to make manifest the power of the grace of the risen lord but even the most intense prayers do not always obtain the healing of all illnesses thus saint peter I'm sorry thus saint paul must learn from the lord that my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness, and the sufferings to be endured can mean that in my flesh I complete what is lacking in Christ's affliction for the sake of his body, that is, the church. We must unite our sufferings to Christ on the cross. In in Colossians chapter 1, starting in around verse 24, that's where that paragraph is quoting from. Let me read it to you. It says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I complete what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church. Now let me ask you, didn't Christ redeem us by the blood on the cross? Wasn't his sacrifice perfect and good for everything, for all? What could be lacking in his suffering? Seriously, what's lacking is us. It's not him that's lacking. It really is us that's lacking. Because we don't unite ourselves to Christ on the cross. He pays the price, but we must be willing to accept it. That sounds so Protestant, right? Now, where the Protestants lack is a fuller understanding of the sacrifice. They miss the institution of the Eucharist, and they miss how those two are combined. But, on another level, we must accept Christ's sacrifice for us. We must join our sufferings to Christ on the cross. That's where we find value in our sufferings. Now, I know somebody today, right now. She is a, a woman, a single woman. She, she, her husband has left her. She has two boys. And she is stage four cancer, searching desperately to find meaning in how it is that she will not see her her boys grow to be men. And as I think about that, it's it's a struggle. I want nothing more than to take that away from her. But see, what we see from our our earthly perspectives is the, is just, we see this from just a selfish standpoint. We think the best thing ever is to remain here. As things are. That's like perfect. That's where things need to be. They always need to be that way because nothing could ever be better than that, right? No, our Lord sees beyond that. You see, in the Old Testament, they actually thought in the in the day of Jesus they thought if someone had an affliction a disease for instance that they must have they must have you know had been they must have sinned you know if you read the book of Job you can actually see this concept they struggled because job's family was wiped out and he was lamenting that and they, they thought well he must have sinned but job said I, I have not sinned." And you can actually see this emphasized in John chapter 9, starting in verse 1, it says, As he passed by, he saw a man blind from his birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, It was not this man, it was not that this man sinned, or his parents, but that the works of God might be made manifest in him, we must work the works of him who sent me. While it is day, night comes when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. That's John, starting in verse uh, chapter nine, starting in verse one. Afflictions don't happen arbitrarily. Now, yes. God does not call, cause someone to, you know, contract cancer. These are, in my opinion, this is a reflection of a fallen world, a fallen human race. We have concupiscence. The first uh, man, Adam, who brought sin into the world, Adam and Eve, they not only brought sin upon all of their offspring, all of their descendants, but they brought sin into creation. And it disrupted the order of things. And so we see this disruption in all types. And so our sin nature has led us to today. Disease, selfishness, corruption on a massive scale. And so although God does not cause evil, he does use it for good sometimes. And that's what we see, for example, when Joseph in the Old Testament was sold into slavery by his brothers into Egypt. What they meant for bad, God turned around and used it for good. When we have an affliction, cancer, for example, it is on us to unite that suffering to Christ on the cross. That's Colossians. That we can fill up that which is lacking in Christ's affliction. We give meaning to our suffering when we unite it to Christ on the cross. Now, let me think about 9-11. Now, I remembered, last night I sat and I watched some of the the specials on 9-11, and I watched the video again, and it was still so hard to watch. Now, on 9/11 2001 I was working as a project manager for a telecommunications firm in New Hampshire and I lived in New Hampshire at the time. And I remember I was uh managing a I have I had a I don't know maybe like 10 crews working underneath me at the time and we were working on some plant builds in the center part of the state. And we were one of our crews was rebuilding or working on um, a little bed and breakfast or a campground area they had like these little cottages and we were removing and replacing their infrastructure for cable television and we were and i was there supervising the crew and checking in checking in on them and then the customer came out and said yeah some plane crashed into the world trade center in new york and i thought wow, that's that's really weird. I, I Immediately, I thought it was like a Cessna. And I actually think that was some of the rumors at the time. So now, I had never done this before. I would never turned to listen to talk radio. Yeah, It just wasn't something I was doing at that point in my life. I was too busy into other things, trust me. Um, and so I turned and listened to the news on the radio, and I, I started to hear some of these reports. And it, it went from an accident to, no, this is something much more serious. And so I immediately drove to the, uh, the, the office where the cable company was located and they had a TV on there and the, we were watching the live news feeds and I saw the building burning and the look of shock in the face of those standing on the streets and all of the uh, firefighters and police officers and EMS personnel rushing to do what they've trained to do. They did it out of instinct. And then I saw the second plane hit the other tower. And I thought, our whole world has just changed. Nothing is the same. I imagine the same feeling probably happened on Pearl Harbor Day. They probably had that same sort of feeling, that nothing is going to be the same from here on out. Then I saw the towers fall. But you know what? It was really hard to watch that. I mean, it was really, really hard to watch that. To watch people jump from the building. Jumping from this skyscraper. I can't begin to fathom this. And the buildings fall. And the Pentagon is hit. And then the the other plane crashes in Pennsylvania. I mean, it's, like, surreal. It's just like, it's, it's, is this really happening? And then they start shutting down all the planes around the country, and I'm looking into the sky. is a beautiful blue day. It was, like, perfect weather that day. And then there was no planes anywhere. And there was no bodies. So few people were recovered. Their loved ones, gone. The suffering that these people have endured. Where was God on that day? This is a natural question. They were searching and seeking and they were suffering. Just why was their loved one taken from them? The loss. It still hurts to just fathom it, to watch it. But our Lord. He went like a lamb before, you know, the shears, quiet. He took what he must take. He said, shall I not drink the cup that my father has given me to drink? No, I will drink this cup. He embraced his cross, not for his sake, but for ours. And let me tell you something, we often have this sort of hallmark vision of uh, the passion, and the the movie that came out in 2004 from Mel Gibson, The Passion of the Christ, starring Jim Caviezel as our Lord, um, that gives us a glimpse into what it was kind of like, but even that was somewhat um, watered down. From historical references, we know how severe a crucifixion truly was. We know how severe the flagellation was. That alone should have killed him. St. Paul endured those same beatings several times, by the way. So we know that it is but by the grace of God only that, they, that our Lord and St. Paul were able to continue. Now, our Lord, being the second person of the Blessed Trinity, he endures this to the bitter end for us. And we must join our sufferings to Christ. It is the cross. And you know what? A special that I watched on the Trinity Broadcasting Network, actually, was a documentary they did on the chaplains that sat there that worked at Ground Zero for countless days to bring support to all of those firefighters, police officers, construction workers, all the volunteers who just poured themselves out sifting through this mountain of suffering so that they can find the answer to why. And these chaplains stayed there, giving and pouring themselves out like a libation. That's what it means to be like Christ, to pour yourself out like a libation. They were able to bring, help bring meaning of that suffering to those folks. And I can tell you that those chaplains didn't necessarily feel that they were getting the job done and they had the right words to say because one in particular said he didn't know what to say. He said it would be hours before he would even mention the very name of God. He just stood there. He stood 14 hours in the same place because he felt like he couldn't leave until somebody finally invited him in because they were so moved by this man's vigilance this chaplain's vigilance to stand there. And so he came in, and he he was there for them, there to not only help, but there to, to, uh, to provide this solace, because these men needed it most, because they were looking for their comrades, they were looking for their loved ones. Somebody had to stand there and embrace them, Because isn't that what our Lord does for us? Because, like Lazarus, there is a purpose. Wasn't it Martha and Mary said, Lord, you could have come, you could have saved us, you could have saved him, but our Lord says, it's okay. It's okay. It's not easy, and, and, and you probably have more suffering, and you can relate to suffering, far better than I you probably are suffering right now and you're probably saying oh it's so easy for you to say just join your sufferings to Christ you're not enduring this you know what you're right it is easy to say I guess but our Lord is begging us our Father is calling us as his little children as when I hold my little child down on the table at the doctor's office so that she can get a shot, so that she will not get sick, she screams, Dad, why? And I scream back, so that you may be healed. Our suffering has purpose and value. Let's not look for resurrection glory without first going to Calvary and Good Friday. We must find value in filling up that which lacks in Christ's suffering, our suffering. Well, that's going to do it. I hope you understand that love is suffering, and they are united on Calvary. So let's look to the love of God for us and unite our sufferings in him on Calvary. And offer it up, just offer it up for someone else, for ourselves, for our family, but offer it up. Come visit me on my website, www.catholichack.com. Until next time, may God richly bless you. From the Catholic Underground.